Welcome to LifeSight AI, the podcast series brought to you by Cypro and hosted by me, Nick Mahoney. This series looks to shine a light on the key developments of AI within the life science industry. Following on from the successful roundtable Cypro hosted in 2020, we aim to bring cross collaboration between common projects and to help promote the use of AI in life sciences. I really hope you enjoy this episode. So welcome back to another episode of LifeSci AI, the podcast series. And before starting this episode, I want to highlight to everyone that's listening or watching this that in September, Cypro uh, London will be running a marathon along with some of our teammates in, in, in the Munich office, we'll be running a marathon in Windsor in September to raise money this year for a WYSIBUG and um, WYSIBUGs are given to children with rare mobility restrictive diseases. So they normally cost around 5,000 pounds. So that's our aim this year is to raise 5,000 pounds like we did last year so that we can donate that to Designability and that money will go to fund a whole WYSIBUG to give to a child, um, to give them the independent mobility that every youngster really deserves. So I'll put a link for this in the uh, LinkedIn uh, post that we do for it and in the email marketing that will go around as well attached to the podcast. So any um, donations will be gladly received to that uh, in due course, um, but probably close to the time as well. But back to the podcast. And for the first time in this series, we have moved out of the UK. Um, so we, we've, gone, we've gone global, but, but more European. And today we're joined by the CTO of Cerebu, um, an innovative medical device company set up in, in Copenhagen. Our CTO and co-founder is uh, Dr. Akshay Pai. So, so, so welcome, uh, Dr. Akshay. Thank you very much. It's uh, nice to be on your podcast. It's a pleasure's all mine. Pleasure's all mine. So please, for the listeners um, who haven't come across yourself before, um, just explain a little bit about yourself. Yeah, okay. So, as you said, my name is uh, Akshay Pai. The last name is quite mathematical. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, it kind of suits the kind of work that I do. Um, I am uh, a computer scientist uh, by background. Um, mm -hmm. I have a PhD in computer science, uh, specializing in uh, machine learning and medical imaging. Um, my background is to uh, use concepts from machine learning and um, apply them in real scenarios of, of uh, um, medical imaging, um, mm -hmm. more towards um, uh, analysis of medical images like MRIs uh, or ultrasounds or X-rays. And more specifically, I focus on automatic analysis of uh, brain MRIs. Um, my PhD was uh, uh, on analyzing brain MRIs uh, and measuring something called as atrophy in brain uh, with respect to Alzheimer's disease. And from right. there, um, I have sort of moved on towards a broader range of neuro, 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 neurological uh, diseases. Mm -hmm. And at Cerebro, we are trying to apply all that knowledge that I've tried to acquire <laughs> during my PhD <laughs> and postdoc years and, and, and try to make a difference in the clinic. 
Yeah, awesome. Thank, thank you for that. And um, it's interesting that uh, we're focusing again on on neuroimagery. Um, not the first uh, episode to, to focus on this in the in the first series, um, but also you're not the first um, guest. You're looking at uh, Dr. Mark Goldfinger and Perspective, who are looking at Alzheimer's disease as well. I, I, I believe um, in their first iteration of AI research in in life sciences. Um, the first question I really have for yourself, uh, Akshay, on your background. Um, you were educated quite globally, right? Yes. <laughs> so yes you, you hopped around the world. Um, so for everyone, just give us a rundown of, of where you're educated. And then what I'll be, what I'll be really interested to know in an ever-increasing global world, what are the differences and what are the similarities that you faced or found in different educational systems. Yeah, so I, um, I, I don't know if I have to start all the way from my schooling, but I have to start from my bachelor's. <laughs> right. no. uh, yeah. So I did my bachelor's uh, from uh, from a college called AMC in in Bangalore, um, mm. where I did my bachelor's in electronics and communication, which is um, sort of a broader engineering topic where we touch yeah. upon computer science most and and focus a lot on signal processing and, and the, uh, the electronic part of it. Um, mm. And, and since post that, I, I went to the University of Texas at El Paso to do mm -hmm. my master's again in elect electrical and uh, electronics, but with a specialization in um, medical image analysis. Right, I see. It is there where I actually decided to work on medical images. This was back in 2008. And since then I've actually not looked back. Mm. Um, my first uh, research topic was using um, ultra wideband microwaves for detecting breast cancer. Um, right. and, and that kind of inspired me into continuing uh, to, to work in this space. Uh, then I briefly worked for GE um, mm -hmm. um, uh, as a consultant where I worked a lot on spine image analysis together with uh, Vivek Wedge there. It was a very enriching experience. Um, and I think that is, that is where I um, realized that I need more depth um, right. from, from a computer science and machine learning point of view from, a, from the theoretical side of things, because you need to understand the essence of um, mathematics before you can actually start innovating, <laughs> uh, right? So then I decided to do my PhD and and, um, and and was looking for opportunities and I came across an opportunity under Dr. Matt Nielsen and, and Dr. Yeah. Matt Nielsen is like one of the best machine learning researchers out there uh, yeah, yeah. in the space of medical image analysis and then it was a no-brainer for me to join, join uh, University mm. of Copenhagen. Um, in terms of similarities and uh, differences, there's actually it's a contrast between India and Denmark and US. Um, I would say from a work style perspective, India and US is more close than India and Denmark. Um, in India and US, there's more focus on, on um, quantity of work. Um, whereas in, in Denmark, I would say it's closer to quality and, and with a significant focus on your 
work-life balance. Uh, right, I see. Which is kind of surprising as a PhD student to come across. Because <laughs> for a PhD student, you know, work-life balance is actually unheard of. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yeah. What is like work-life 50, 60 balance? hours a week, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. But uh, when I came to Denmark and I was, yeah, working a bit too much, then people kind of, you know, pushed me towards, you know, having taking breaks and making sure that you know, I kept my mind fresh. And I think this is why Danes are so efficient in what they do. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of a summary of my, my background. I see. I see. So just before going to the importance potentially then of work-life balance uh, and how it affects you and how you manage that still as a CTO, um, just wanted to, probably not quickly, I probably have to go into some depth in this, but you mentioned about it's important to have an understanding of mathematics for before you even go into development. And interestingly, I've been speaking with um, people in the UK about this and 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 the importance of coming from a mathematical or statistical background, um, and, and and young researchers needing that foundation, um, especially when in deep learning and machine learning, because it's you you understand it and you can you can take a concept and you can adapt it and evolve it and implement it into different sectors it's not a cut and paste job it's it's more of a i understand it from its foundational point of view so what importance do you put on um mathematical um, understanding for development and why from yourself it'd be good to know why that's important yeah so i think if if you want to excel in in creating disruptive solutions, it's extremely important to get the fundamentals right. Um, and, and mathematics is one of the most fundamental sciences, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it has direct uh, connections with computer science. Of course, computer science yeah. is, is basically mathematics at the end, in the end of the day. Um, so in order to solve problems, <laughs> you need to know <laughs> concepts that are applicable to solve certain problems. Um, right. And, and what I, in this world, you see, you know, with things moving around so much, with so many resources available, you can, it's very easy for people to just um, apply things and, and mm-hmm. just be, uh, and engineer things around what is available. So people tend to focus less on uh, stepping back a little bit and fundamentally re-looking at the problem. Um, this is where companies like Tesla and and, uh, and Lucid are making a difference is because they're going back and fundamentally changing things from ground up. And yeah, in order exactly. to do that, you yeah. need to understand the, the most basic concepts. And these are not new concepts. These are these concepts, like for instance, neural networks, right? Some, yeah. They have been around for ages. Hmm. You have to go back and understand uh, really, what was the reason why neural networks were developed, uh, and 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 the mathematics around it, uh, and, and get an essence of it for for you to adapt and change. Uh, yeah. Right. And add your own flavor to it afterwards. But if you are yeah. not fundamentally strong, it it becomes very hard to innovate. So yeah. it's extremely important for people who are going into machine learning research is to make sure that you have your fundamentals in spaces of differential geometry, linear algebra, um, functional analysis to be extremely strong. 
um, okay. before before you really dive deep into uh, advanced topics like deep learning. Yeah, for sure. So that was linear algebra. Yeah. Um, differential geometry. Uh, differential uh, geometry. Yeah, and concepts like these are extremely important. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, what? Just because I don't know if it's the feedback I've been having there now of of of, um, of uh, people like similar in positions to you that some people coming that the talents coming through now and the cohorts coming through now are lacking sometimes in in that area. Do you think there's been a change in the education systems? Have you noticed that also, or that there isn't as strong a foundation in mathematics? I don't think the education system hasn't changed so much. Mm. It is more the availability of uh, inter, uh, media, right? Um, right? The availability of spotlight. You see 20 year old people starting companies and becoming millionaires because they implemented a seriously nice uh, face filter <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. And I think it's that draw, that's something that kind of draws people into more application than really um, fundamentally questioning you know, the whole, uh, the science. I mean, I'm not saying that applications are wrong. Yeah. But, but in order for the world to move in the right direction, you need a substantial number of people to look at the fundamental problems that we have. Like mm -hmm. For instance, deep learning itself, people think that it is drawn by brain biology, but it's really <laughs> not. <laughs> so you have to go back and, and really understand how brain works um, uh, and try to model that. And it just doesn't happen overnight, mm. right? So, mm. Uh, I don't think so. The fundamental education system has changed. It's just everything around it. Right. Um, I see. It's the glamorization yeah. of science that has completely made people <laughs> move towards uh, application than you know really focus on the fundamentals. And I am a culprit of it as well. I mean, mm. I'm, I don't have a pure mathematical background, but in hindsight, I wish I had that. Yeah. Yeah. I see. So more less. You would would like to see is less than uh, a focus on the actual application or the end but more of a focus on the means yes precisely I think. can yes, you I... deconstruct the means and that's yeah. almost the most important piece but there's too many people focusing on the end yes. and then yeah skipping the means part <laughs> yeah i mean like for instance deep learning right people know that there's convolutional neural networks but mm. i think it would be nice for people to understand how did convolutional neural networks come yeah. to being right yeah. Why is it playing such an important role in machine learning these days? I think that would be interesting um, to have. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Okay. And you, you have a second piece you, you mentioned there, it's a work-life balance difference. Um, so just before we get into really the, the products of CeraView, um, it'd be interesting to know as a CTO, how do you keep a work-life balance? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I mean, um, it helps me that the, my co-founders and, and and the people I'm surrounded by um, are people who put a long uh, a, a lot of stress on keeping a fresh mind and and keeping a good work-life balance. That mm. kind of helps. If you are surrounded by people who are working all the time, and <laughs> then you kind of peer pressured into doing it. Right? So I think yeah. credit should go where it's due. My my co-founders are extremely good at uh, making sure that they shield me from working too too hard and stressing myself too much uh, um yeah so it's 
it keeps it keeps my mind fresh it lets me innovate more it lets me use my time much more efficiently than i would i would usually do if i just worked 70 80 hours a week mm yeah um, so it's important to take breaks i mean not just for startups but any any anyone. any field, anyone yeah for sure definitely so if it as you guys scale now do you think that this is something you're going to have implemented throughout the business in terms of there's going to be pretty hard and fast rules on this um because for example what if you what if you have a really enthused person that wants to work 60 hours a week 65 70 hours a week long term how do you manage that yeah well i mean it's important quality is important quantity is mm. not right as yeah. long as somebody produces the quality and innovates and makes a difference in the company it it doesn't matter if it is 10 hours they put in a week or 40 hours mm. they put in a week yeah, but yeah. if but if people want to work 60 hours of course they have the luxury to do it but we will make all the tools available for them to take breaks and yeah um, uh, we have we have social gatherings where we, we sort of push them into it and say you know what <laughs> take a break uh, and and have a good time and, and yeah yeah you can always come back and and work for sure for sure yeah no, that's good that's good to hear okay so serabu then um you joined uh, as a co-founder right yeah so i um, i I've, i've been the one of the founding uh, people of serabu uh, yeah been there since day one <laughs> what was the story of you joining or oh, that's, was, uh, yeah what was the sort of the, the yeah exception story so um biomedic so biomedic uh, it was it was actually you should step step back step i was back, a part yeah. of a company called biomedic and we were focusing on uh, neurodegeneration disease mm-hmm. and at that point um i was i was a phd i was a postdoc um and i had a discussion with dr max nielsen who is uh, is the uh, who yeah. was the ceo of uh, biomedic who's a co-founder of cerebro so at that point we sort of made a conscious decision saying that we wanted to make a difference in real clinics right um and we wanted to reach the people's lives and alzheimer's working on alzheimer's is extremely gratifying because it's a real problem that is facing mm. the world right now but we wanted to go a step further and actually make a difference in the clinics and at that point um, we decided that you know we should form a separate company and we decided on forming cerebro and Max and Robert Lawrenson who were yeah. who were good friends um came together and Robert has this extremely impressive background in implementing healthcare solutions yeah for sure um so for me it was a great mix of uh, ac- academical background practical mm. knowledge and innovation um to to join cerebro and 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 um and sort of create this company that can transform radiology disrupt radiology mm. so uh, give bring in new perspectives um yeah but this is uh, interesting so we thought that okay we will start with the dementia product because we all had dementia background mm-hmm. and then we visited india <laughs> um <laughs> and we had a session with a bunch of radiologists and yeah. uh, the radiologists said that really dementia is a problem yes but unfortunately there is no solution to dementia mm. right um the problem for them was more in in the routine clinic where they were burdened with 
too many images uh, coming through them, too many disruptions. It was just hard for them to uh, keep up with the yeah. burden. Yeah. And we, we turned the problem uh, statement around. And I think this is how companies should work. You have to look at the problem first, not solution, mm-hmm. and then try <laughs> to find a problem that fits the solution, right? Yeah. Um, so what we did was we we turned the uh, table around and asked them, what is your biggest pain point? And the biggest pain point they had was that they essentially said that they were getting too many images on their desk. Right. If there was a way to filter that and they could focus on only the most important and the most critical images first right. and then look at the rest, then yeah. that would significantly reduce the burden. I see. Okay. And so, I think that was... Well, I, just, I just couldn't to ask on the images point of view, do you mean in terms of number of patients or do you mean in terms of number of images per patient? I think it's a... a if you give me a second, I have to... No worries. We've got some lighting problems. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Beating down the sun in Copenhagen. Yeah. It is. Maybe this is, this, is, this is better. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Actually, it is both. It is both the okay. number of patients that they have to look at and, and each patient, uh, the data is exponentially increasing. I mean, there are a lot of companies coming up like Subtle Medical or even GE that is acquiring faster and faster scans, which means more yeah. patients are going through the system, but it is not fundamentally changing the problem that just too many images are going to the radiologist yeah. and not everything is clinically relevant. Mm. So we tried to uh, turn the problem around and, and I'm so happy that this uh, epiphany happened in India because yeah. it's a country that I'm from. <laughs> yeah. Um, we turned the solution around to say that why don't we build a solution that can um, make sure that the right data goes to the doctor at the right time and the right treatment is given to the patient. Mm. That's how Cerebro actually started. Yeah. So you 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 identified the bottleneck, and your yeah. your aim is to release the bottleneck yeah. and to yeah. make it efficient. Yeah. So how are you going about doing that? So we we are we have. Um, uh, we have a patent pending technology called uh, Smart Protocol. Yeah. Um, and we are focusing on brain imaging because uh, neuroimaging is the most, one of the most extensive imaging uh, suite that is available. Patients typically spend a lot of time for brain imaging, somewhere within 15 to 45 minutes in a scanner, mm-hmm. which, is, which is crazy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what Smart Protocol does is that it while the patient is in the scanner and while the scans are being acquired, we analyze the scans in real time um, and then give uh, a proper pathway for new scans to be acquired. So essentially what happens is we let the um, technician acquire a few basic sequences, very few basic sequences, and based on that, recommend what needs to be acquired next based on what the machine learning algorithm sees in the brain. If it turns out that there's nothing in the brain, there's an opportunity for the uh, radiographer or the radiologist to cut short and and save a lot of time Mm. and a lot of data going down with the radiologist. Yeah. Um, So that is how we are uh, uh, prioritizing. So once they have a, once they're in a scan and the first 
pictures have been have been created it goes into the CeraView workflow and then from that you utilize machine learning um, to suggest the likelihood of of different areas that maybe need to be checked second or third or fourth or just to stop the scan right now it's, it's fine and then the technician can can go, go to the next scan of priority rather than almost scanning everything for 45 minutes and then checking things you don't need to bother checking. Absolutely. Like for awesome. instance, you can look at some cases where um, some parts of the world where the contrast is injected into the body regardless of what the uh, scan is about, right? And, and right. that's unnecessary use of resources, yeah. unnecessary use of uh, time. And we want to cut, cut that short. Um, mm. One of the first applications that we are trying to bring out is in the space of stroke. Right. Uh, and one of the reasons why MRI is not used in stroke is because it takes a lot of time yeah. to acquire the scan. So what we yeah. are coming up is saying that you acquire an ultra short protocol. We will give you a decision in terms of not uh, a recommendation in terms of which patient is respond, uh, uh, is, is uh, more qualified for the thrombectomy within the first 10 minutes or within even within the first five minutes of the scan. Yeah. Um, and for rest of the patients, which is probably more than half of the patients who come with a stroke symptom can just be sent home saying that you're fine. Yeah, I see. Of- so, so you can have, I see. So because the problem right now, really, like I said, if you go in an MRI, 45 minutes, those, is it the electrodes um, in the brain that they go dormant um, within a stroke? Um, so yeah, still because there's a stroke, uh, there's embolism, uh, cells start to die, right? So minutes yeah, yeah, are yeah. minutes are very very important. Yeah. Uh, if you've seen studies that show that both CT and MRI almost take the same time, the most of the mm. time is actually placing the patient into the yeah. into the scanner, but there is a lot more optimization room as far as MRI is concerned, is because MRI is a superior imaging technology. Yeah, uh, yeah, and you can see a lot more in the brain and make the neuro neurologist or the neuroradiologist usually feel mm. more confident if you have a diagnosis based on mm. uh, MRI. And what Apollo is doing is that it's looking at the first couple of sequences, really short sequences, and then immediately deciding whether this patient is eligible for any further treatment. Yeah, um, I see. So yeah, that's how we are approaching the problem. Awesome, brilliant. Okay, and the, the you said. Um, sort of make it sound like magic. Um, machine learning does its thing and then it happens, it's given a result. So <laughs> if you can, uh, without going into, into as much detail as, as possibly giving away all your secrets, um, but what, what sort of machine learning approaches are you, are you utilizing now and, and where did they come from? Uh, so primarily we are a deep learning based company. There is no way, to, there's no way around deep learning right now because that is the most um, well-performing, you know, tech uh, yeah. tool out there. Um, so we are using uh, a mixture of deep learning and traditional machine learning, putting them together to build these tools. Um, a lot of our effort actually goes into understanding the domain itself. Uh, right. Um, how the images are created. Um, what kind of artifacts can we see in the scanner? trying mm. to simulate those artifacts and then making sure that the network or the model is robust to these artifacts. Right. A lot of our work actually goes there, then the classification 
part of it. So it's more the yeah. data that goes into the machine learning model. That's where we spend most of our effort. In. I see. Okay. And what's the relationship with the hardware? Um, what, you mean the scanner or? Yeah. So, so if, are you guys, are you guys a software only company or do you have a quite a good relationship or do you embed this into the scanners themselves? Um, or, and if, if so, what are the limitations that you found with utilizing deep learning? Obviously it's a heck of a lot of data, right? So if there's been any restrictions or any challenges that you found there in making it relatable to hardware and talk together. Yeah. So one of the biggest challenges we've seen, um, is that deep learning is a very, it used to be a kind of, um, it kind of still is, I would say, a mm. very data hungry uh, system. Yeah. The more data you provide, the better the system is. The more variance in data, the better the system is. But there are a lot of methods that are coming in right now, like equivariance and all these things that sort mm. of model inductive biases that you need so that the model can be more robust. Right? So we are moving yeah. more towards the less and less requirement of data. Yeah. Um, but having said that, you know, MRI scanners are are scanners unlike CT with a lot of degrees of freedom. Mm. And every scanner, every center have their own little idiosyncrasies on how to operate the scanner. Yeah. All right. So that variation is quite immense. Mm. Okay. Quite, okay. quite immense. And this is where data becomes extremely important for us because we need to understand what variation exists out there yeah. and try to account that in our models. Um, I see. This is where I think scanner vendors can help us a lot. Um, okay. Both from building the model perspective, but imagine having uh, an alert system on the scanner itself. At this point, we are sitting separately somewhere else Mm. And there needs to be a third screen that is sitting um, right next to the scanner. Oh, but I see. In, imagine being embed, embedded on the scanner Integrate. itself. Yeah. Integrated yeah. on the scanner itself that, you know, as you as in when you take a, a, a acquire a sequence, there is an alert saying what needs to be yeah. done next. Yeah. Um, companies like GE are moving yeah. towards that. Yeah. They have this uh, very nice embedded pneumothorax um, yeah. notification system that yeah. um, that essentially notifies if there is lung collapse right on the scanner mm. on their mobile x-rays which is what we should move towards for yeah. mri is concerned so yeah i that's the that's the future, the future. Um, yeah and uh, you, mri vendors are actually moving there they are they're creating yeah. their own uh, do, you, do you think do you think that then that, that you could get to a, a, a point where the MRI scanner does it all itself. Yeah. So, yes, I think that is where the whole uh, uh, MR system is moving towards. There. Yeah. They are moving towards more being autonomous, mm. where you just walk in and then there is a radiographer, but only purely for the human contact, and yeah. the machine does everything else. The machine yeah. positions uh, itself and it decides what sequences have to be acquired based on clinical history. Mm -hmm. um refer referrals from the clin uh, from the clinician and then mm. basically acquires images that are the most essential yeah yeah um, definitely i think that is where the world is moving towards and cerebro as cerebro we would we would like to be that company that drives this change yeah for sure and where would you see cerebro coming into them would you 
would you be partnering with some of these MRI um, vendors or do you think eventually you would be, I don't know, it's probably a lot of capital would be needed, right, to, to create an MRI uh, scanner. But you, you talked at the start about innovation being from the ground up and understanding the fundamentals. And that's when you can really make disruptive change. You, know, you talked about Tesla. Um, the, there's talk about Apple doing their own doing their own autonomous car, but they don't want to buy four because that would be top down and they don't, they don't want to do that. Yeah. So... Um, would you would you consider that at Cerebu or or would you partner with somebody to, to, to do that? How do you see yourself coming into that yeah. um, <laughs> innovation piece? <laughs> good, good question. I mean, if there is capital, then we would definitely, at least personally, I would look at rebuilding MR machines. Uh, yeah. Like Hyperfine has done. Um, they have just completely turned the MR space around and now they have systems that can sit in the corner of your desk and then you can just scan yourself whenever you want. Yeah. And you get an MR scanner out. So yeah. potentially a combination of um, hardware and, yeah. and and advanced machine learning uh, is where Cerebro is going to go. But I would say we would be probably more towards machine learning in the shorter future. Yeah. And, and in the longer uh, future it would be uh, in 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 collaboration with one of those existing scanner vendors yeah um, but if we do raise a lot of capital then yeah, building own MR scanners <laughs> yeah. might not be a bad idea yeah for sure okay and so as, as a CTO then actually there's a lot of we talked about the deep learning focus that you guys have and the, the freedoms that an MRI scanner actually gives you um, compared to other other devices other scanning devices how do you make decisions as a CTO? Um, so technology decisions are, are sort of made. Um, yeah. So we have a chief scientific officer in Dr. Max Nielsen. And usually yeah. I, there's a lot of ideas that comes from the research mm. team, right? Somebody has yeah. to filter it. So <laughs> usually I'm the one who filters those ideas and then proposes it to our chief mm. scientific officer. And then we sit down and actually brainstorm mm. uh, from a technology point of view, what needs to be done next. Mm. But from an application point of view, it is purely driven by the need. Yeah. Uh, we, we, and this is where Dr. Amin Korchi, who is our new CMO, plays an extremely yeah, sure. yeah. significant role in translating the needs of a clinic um, into, uh, into language that people like me who are non-radiologists can understand. Yeah. Um, it's a mountain. The the radiology system is a mountain to change. I mean, mm -hmm. you can't just completely change. So we have to find smaller milestones, smaller achievable yeah. pieces uh, that can incrementally start transforming radiology. And that steps yeah. are really hard to um, envision until you are the end user. <laughs> yeah. Right? yeah. So from a clinical point of view, it is me together with our CEO or CSO and Dr. Ami. Mm. Uh, we sit together and try to really understand the clinical scenarios, the needs um, and the parameters surrounding the healthcare to decide what's what's the next step. Yeah, okay, that's interesting. And I was gonna maybe um, do a bit more of a spotlight on this, on your new CMO. Um, <laughs> I think it deserves it. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. And I remember speaking speaking with Robert um, at the start of, start of February 
Um, and he was sort of saying, we've, we've got this uh, big announcement in the pipeline and, and such. So just actually in a bit more depth if possible, what would what is the impact going to be of Dr. Amir? And how do you see that changing or accelerating your development in the next 12, 24, 36 months? I think he's the single, singularly the most best thing that has happened to us in this year. <laughs> it's because he brings so much of insight into how a clinic works, what yeah. the biology is, how a radiologist or a neuroradiologist would treat a particular uh, case, right? Um, mm. Usually, Amin and I sit down and we go through scenarios where he explains to me, uh, if a patient comes in with a certain conditions, what would they like to ideally do with the patient? Yeah. And once I know what needs to be done manually, then I figure out what of it can be automated. Yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. Um, and this is where Amin plays a significantly important role. Yeah. But on the other end of the spectrum, we are looking at the development end of the spectrum, right? Let's say post-product end of the spectrum. It, he is just the right person to speak the radiology language. Yes. Right? Yeah. Um, to the customers and, and tell people why is it that we are innovating? Why is there a need for innovation? Yeah. Um, and if he comes and and being, I think he's he was one of the top 25 opinion leaders in the space of radiology in India this year. Mm. If he speaks up and says that this is the technology that is going to transform your MRI care, yeah. then, then I think that's, that adds a lot of value more than me, an obscure machine learning <laughs> researcher shouting out, <laughs> saying that, you know, guys, have a look. Yeah. I, I wouldn't describe you as obscure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it, 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 it's important because I think more than, more than most, more than, more than uh, any other industry, life sciences need that intermediary between the clinic and the AI. Absolutely. If, if you look at autonomous driving, it's a little bit different and, and robotics a little bit different because they're almost a thing inside of the industry. Um, yeah. So you kind of need that, that intermediary. And it sounds like um, it will be a game changer um, for you guys. And I'm, I'm super excited to see the impact of that in, in the coming, yeah. in the coming uh, months and years. But just before we close, I just wanted to get your, get your thoughts down on the next steps for Cerebu in terms of, I mean, we've already discussed about maybe creating a, a full MRI scanner uh, as, as, as a potential, um, but where can this technology go? in terms of being transferred into different areas of, of body scanning or, or different ideas of, away from not just doing stroke into different um, diagnostic pieces as, as well. Yeah, so what we want to do is we want to automate MRI, brain MRI acquisition, right? Mm. So we are starting with stroke as a small use case scenario, Yeah. but there's plenty of other neuroradiological conditions that can do with smart protocols. Like, as I said, uh, the use of gadolinium in the context of tumor can be much more uh, smartly done uh, where you don't just give gadolinium to anyone with a suspected tumor, but have a machine learning uh, algorithm recommend whether a gadolinium is required or not. Yeah. Um, and, and most often, you know, ruling out uh, things that are causing headaches. Most of mm -hmm. the MRI... Um, 
um, recommendations uh, in the routine clinic are because of headaches. People don't know why is there a headache, right? Yeah. And yeah. that could be because of gazillion reasons, right? <laughs> yeah. So if a machine learning can can uh, can filter out cases based on what it sees and sends the right images to the radiologist, mm-hmm. um, then I think we have made we would make a big difference. And that is where Cerebro is headed towards. It it is yeah. trying to reduce the number of images that go to a radiologist and yeah. thereby just make sure that the patient spends less and less time in the scanner. Yeah. And and uh, whatever decisions are made are made purely based on evidence that is that is generated in the scanner. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, so some, what would you reckon the challenges though would be? Now you've got, you've, you've got where you are at the moment with, um, with uh, with stroke, not with stroke, sorry. Um, yeah, it's it a stroke, is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah sorry. <laughs> you got where you are with stroke. Um, moving to a, a, another area, what do you think the challenges would be that you would you would face that, that you can see before even starting, perhaps? Yeah. So stroke is is a is a is a hard space, but the number of possibilities that you can see from pathological variations that is quite limited. It's not a not a lot but when it comes to other areas like tumors for instance right the manifestation of tumors in the brain is is can happen in a gazillion different ways like, mm. it's not just within the brain but it could be um, uh, something on the skull or something closer to your ear uh, it doesn't necessarily have to be intracranial it could be intraparenchymal um, those variations and trying to understand those variations is is the biggest challenge that we have mm-hmm. right now uh, and I'm, I'm pretty sure with Dr. Amin's help, we will get there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so handling this variation, pathological variation on top of scanner variation, uh, mm. which complicates things even further. This is so many uh, variables. Yes, precisely. <laughs> that, that, is, that is going to be a challenge. And this is why you yeah. see so, so few players in the space of MRI because it's, yeah. and even if there are players in the space of MRI, they are in very niche areas like mm. lesion, uh, white matter lesion segmentation or mostly dementia, atrophy, because they're very specific areas. And if you start yeah. looking at other real areas, the variation is it's incredible, yeah. incredible. Yeah. But that's a challenge, you know, I like yeah. challenges. So <laughs> yeah. that's that's where Cerebro is going to stand out. Yeah. I guess anyone with a good mathematical um, foundation will do well then. Yeah, <laughs> that's the key. absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> that's the key. Um, Fortunately, we have we have the right people like Matt's. Yeah, for sure. Who are, for who sure. are really brilliant in this space. Yeah, and it, it's it, I, you know it's always it's always really pleasant to see when there has been a researcher that has 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 had such an impact, not just directly themselves, but on other people's growth. And then is created like a cohort of, of of people and either you know underneath them or or, or on par with them now um, to create a wider impact um, on it, which is which is great to see. And the, the impact of of Mads Nielsen in, in in Copenhagen will probably be uh, long lasting, right? Yes, um, absolutely. So. He has created some great researchers. Some of them have gone on to make some good companies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so <laughs> for I sure. think he's had his hand in that. For sure. Well, look, thank you very much for your time, Mr. Uh, Dr. Akshay. It's, it's been an absolute pleasure um, to speak to you. Um, I hope you've enjoyed it. 
yes thoroughly enjoyed it thank you awesome brilliant well thank you very much for listening as well and, and watching guys um i guess we'll be back in a couple of weeks and um, with another episode please don't forget about um the uh, marathon that i myself and my team will be running um there'll be lots more about that um going out by email and, and, and linkedin and, and i'll be speaking about that in a bit more detail um throughout the year um to try and get our goal of, of raising five thousand pounds to uh, give a, a witty book to a, a, a young child um towards the end of the year but thank you very much for listening that finishes this episode for lifesight ai the podcast series i hope you got as much enjoyment out of that as i did Join myself again in a couple of weeks where I'll be shining yet another light on a new area of AI within life sciences. In the meantime, follow Cypro on social media to hear about the latest updates on the series, but also on the roundtables and other work we do day to day. Please also like, share, tell a friend and comment on this podcast so that we can all promote the use of AI in life sciences together. Thanks for listening.